2: Happy New Year from KCBS Radio in San Francisco. I'm Matt Pittman, and this is Bay Current for Monday, January 3rd. As we all ease our way back into the groove of the work and life routine, still very much anything but routine, if we're being honest, because of COVID and Omicron, many of us are back, at least for now, working from home on a permanent or temporary basis. TBD is kind of the buzzword right now. I wanted to do something a little different, though, for the first episode of Bay Current here in 2022. I wanted to share some of the work that we're really proud of here at KCBS Radio and Odyssey, our parent company. You've heard me rave about the many talents of one of my favorite co-workers, Mallory Somera here at KCBS radio, a podcast and multimedia producer on my team. You might remember it was Mallory who wanted to do a story on her hometown of Vallejo ended up being one of my absolute favorite episodes of this, the Bay Current podcast from all last year.
3: I know that the poverty, I was like actually doing some research and the poverty rate here is still pretty high. I think it's at 15.4%.
2: Oh man. So here on Marin Street, for example, like we're walking by the Alibi bookshop.
3: Well, I mean, this is already more lively than it felt in at that time. And I mean, another reason why we ended up moving and another reason why I was never here. You know, number one, I was in college, but also there wasn't a lot to do Mm -hmm. out here. I mean, even growing up, like unless you could afford to take like, you know, tennis lessons or, you know, be in sports or you know take swimming or something well, like that like you're uh, just kind of kicking it yeah
2: really. when i hear you talk about poverty rates even as they exist today but certainly you know going back to 0809 in the middle of the great recession you're dealing with poverty rates upwards of 15 percent. nobody got no money to go play tennis
3: right and exactly. roll in
2: sports give me a break exactly so today i wanted to share a new national podcast from odyssey that mallory executive producers it's called connect the dots and i'll let mallory explain
3: Connect the Dots is a weekly podcast that unpacks and dives into unanswered questions from today's news, delivering depth, context, and fresh insights through interviews with the experts and people at the center of these stories, hosted by WCBS 880's Linda Lopez.
2: Today, I hope you'll enjoy the latest episode of Connect the Dots, using social media to destigmatize conversations around mental health. It's a good one. Hope you'll enjoy.
0: Self-care. It's a phrase common to the timelines of Instagram and TikTok. As of this month, there were more than 56 million posts tagged with the hashtag self-care on Instagram. On TikTok... The self-care hashtag has more than 15 billion views. Self-care retail items such as healing stones, journals, and lotions make up an estimated $10 billion industry. But over-usage of the term has morphed the concept into something synonymous with mental health. Even before March of 2020, the concept of self-care had moved from its many meanings and iterations in the real world to the social media Universe where social media influencers have looked to lead the way in self care routines that followers can emulate.
3: Okay, I've got a challenge for you spread love for 96 hours. I'm gonna be honest with y'all, I've been feeling pretty lonely lately. B launched a body butter that lasts 96 hours, and not gonna lie, I was dry licorice in it, which has a lot of natural brightening properties, which helps brighten the skin. And like the aloe in it makes it extremely.
0: But soothing. once you follow like it there, it seemed to become a hashtag used more for selling products or gaining online clout rather than improving well being. Then came the COVID 19 pandemic, an event that put the very idea of health in a new light. With rising concerns about physical health, mental health concerns also garnered more attention as the virus stole loved ones, jobs, activities, and opportunities from us all. Earlier this month, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy issued a new advisory to address the nation's youth mental health crisis, citing the increased rates of mental illness in children ages one to five, and suicidality in high school students in the decade leading up to the pandemic. Studies have also found that the rates of depression skyrocketed since the pandemic began. So with urgency from all corners to focus on our mental health, our fascination with self-care continues and with connecting the two, even if we don't know how to fully grasp it. This week on Connect the Dots, we'll speak with a social media influencer to see how apps like Instagram, while often a major contributor to stress and anxiety, can be a tool for strengthening mental health and self-care for communities of color. A licensed therapist will also join us to explain the pandemic's impact on emotional health across the country and to give us some tips on how to practice good self-care ourselves. I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey a weekly podcast where we bring together multiple perspectives to unpack a single compelling story. It was July 2021. Social media influencer Kim Syra knew she would have to make mental health and self-care a priority. As she waded through the pandemic, the 24-year-old Filipina-American artist and influencer struggled financially, like many of us, and she couldn't afford a therapist. So she decided to use her social media account to spread messages of self-care and mental health awareness.
4: I decided to shift my content to just focusing primarily on mental health this July specifically, because around July, I was dealing with um, a petition calling out James Corden because he had The Late Late Show, and um, they were featuring foods that were insensitive to Asian cultures. Mm -hmm.
1: We have chicken feet, a thousand-year-old egg, which I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. A fish smoothie. Ugh. Pig blood curd. And a balu, which I don't even know really what that is. I don't so know nice. either. Wow, it all looks so terrible. <laughs> and I know people can't smell it, but it doesn't it's smell really good disgusting. either. Yeah. It's really
4: disgusting. Yes, it's horrific. And when I launched that petition. Um, I was receiving just a lot of hate and even like death threats on like an extremely regular basis for that entire month. Um, So then at one point, um, I was pretty much at my like
0: rock bottom and I couldn't afford therapy. Social media has been criticized for its negative impact on mental health. And a Wall Street Journal report published just this year appears to back and body that assumption image up.
3: Issues for teens, especially girls, according to the Wall Street Journal, a study of teenagers in the U.S. and the U.K. commissioned by Facebook showed more than 40 percent of Instagram users who reported feeling unattractive said the feeling began on the app.
0: Saira, however, had a different idea for her platform.
4: I realized that in order for me to do that, while maintaining my own mental well-being, I needed to shift the culture like that I was um, facilitating on my own uh, social media page to more to focus more on mental health and like what I've been going through. Um, and it's just been working out more so for me because I get a lot of messages from people saying that they've never had anyone that they could relate to in terms of like such internal issues until I started speaking
0: more openly about my mental health. We'll hear more from Kim Cyra later. For now, let's check in with Dr. Armando Gonzalez. Dr. Armando, as we call him. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, mental wellness coach, and the founder of the Cheat Code Foundation. While uncommon for a therapist or a university professor, he also decided to utilize social media as a way to get out messages about mental health about seven years ago. I sat down with Dr. Mondo last week to discuss the state of mental health in America and how it's connected to our self-care habits. I know through uh, your foundation cheat code and the work that you do, you use social media sometimes to get your message out and and to talk about these lessons and ways that people can think about it or help themselves. What kind of feedback do you get from that content about, you know, taking care of your mental health?
1: You know, it's interesting because when I first started doing it, Linda, uh, it was, you know, probably, gosh, seven years ago or so. And, and the feedback amongst uh, the public and the feedback in, in my, my world amongst colleagues and other professors as I was teaching at a university was much different. You know, people in the, the public were saying, oh, my gosh, thank you. This is amazing. Now I, now I feel like I can get it. Um, not everyone's going to go read a book or listen to an audio book. They they may listen to a podcast, more likely, I think, today than they would do those first two things. And then they're also going to probably scroll through Instagram and see content. So uh, my intention was to reach people where they're at and take the academic knowledge that we talk about behind closed doors um, and bring it to the masses. And so that's why I started doing it about seven years ago. And um, again, I've always had great feedback from the public. I know initially it really challenged a lot of the things I that I do personally um, I guess have challenged some of the ways that traditional therapists or education, you know university professors, the way they move or the things they do. But to me, um, I'm okay with that because there's one mission that I have, and that's to, to help people the best I possibly can. So if if me posting on Instagram or social media, and explaining um, some of the things that typically would be reserved for, um, you know, a university class or a course, if, if that helps people um, and it empowers people in their mental health journey, I'm going to do that all day long, even if I'm getting side eyes from the people in the universities. Um, but I will say that over time, it's changed so much. And I think that, you know, now even people in universities are coming to me and saying, how do we leverage what, you know, you're doing? And of course, there's so many more people that are doing it even better than I'm doing it, Um, how do we leverage some of that to be able to reach a broader audience? Um, I think if we're not doing that, again, we're more concerned with rules and egos than we are about the actual main thing, which is to help
0: people. We saw earlier this week, the U.S. Surgeon General, actually, Dr. Vivek Murthy, he put out an advisory about the mental health crisis that American youth are going through right now. Yeah. Uh, I found that really striking that the Surgeon General is bringing attention to it, issuing an advisory. What's your reaction to that?
1: I think the first reaction, like you said, it's very it's it's very alarming um, to to go so far. I think we've all seen this, but when something implicit is made explicit to the world, um, especially from a level of the federal government uh, making this explicit to the world, it tells you uh, two things. One, it tells us that we are moving forward in attempts to end stigma and stop sweeping issues of mental health under the rug. But what it also tells us is, is that this is a gigantic issue that we must first address and own publicly before we can then talk about solutions. I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm sure you are too, Linda. Uh, with It's this COVID generation. Uh, it's these kids that have gone through it. And, and the experience is so unique for elementary school kids and then there's and then there's a whole different set of experiences for junior high, high school kids, college kids. Um, and then you mix in some other factors uh, like social media and then, of course, um, what was best for the pandemic, which was isolation, which, um, of course, created even more of an amplification of struggles in mental health. So um, I think it's a great first step. Um, as always, now I'm concerned about what's the follow up? What are the solutions?
0: You know, I hear kids as young as middle school, but all the way up to young adults, you know, kids like my daughter who's in middle school talking about needing mental health days. Um, Do you think that younger people today are better at expressing or maybe even recognizing the need to take care of their mental health?
1: They are, I, I believe they really are. I think that this generation is so open they're so open to talking about what they're going through. Uh, there's a there's a sense of culture. I, what I love too seeing is that um, even amongst you know, there's not a whole lot of difference between young boys and young girls in terms of the rules that they have internalized around speaking about how they feel or what they're going through. Um, and I think that's a huge, huge win. Uh, th- the challenge I think now is that as a field, these kids need us to not only call the problem out but start calling out solutions and <clears throat> the biggest struggle that we have right now in, in this country here all the time is i reached out for therapy or i didn't know how to reach out for therapy and i tried and i felt lost and i never got anyone to call me back and and so part of what you're having is you're having a, a system that's being overloaded now that never has seen an influx uh, when i say a system counselors therapists social workers that are being overwhelmed with so many people coming out of the woodwork needing mental health support but they're not equipped uh whether it's through technology to help meet the need and demands of even just the incoming requests and on top of that there's not enough of those folks in the field uh, and as a result many many people are feeling lost and again i think that's the thing you'll probably hear me say a lot even today is just my concern is how do we solve that Because that's to me where we've, we've called it out. We've identified it. Now we have to start talking solutions so that there can be more equity and care to where if someone needs it, they can pick up a phone and they can get in to see someone and get support.
0: So that makes me wonder, how good are we? in this country as individuals, but also as a whole at not only identifying this problem, but going ahead and taking care of it.
1: You know, the number that popped in my head, Linda, is I said, I would give us a grade of, you know, we're, we're 27% of the way there. Right. So that was just the number that came to my head intuitively. We're 27% of the way there, which to me is a failing grade. Uh, we're not very good. Uh, and we haven't been for a long time, but again, um, Because for so long, it was easy to brush aside mental health. There was never appropriate funding and attention being given to making sure that it was effective enough. Um, And then now that we have this influx, we have an opportunity to change that. So I think when you look at it, this is where we need major infrastructure changes. There's a lot of good mental health startups out there. Some, to be very honest in my assessment, are capitalizing on the buzz term of mental health in in the moment. And then there are some that are really concerned with creating transformative uh, mental health change and changing the system. So I think we do have to have more intention about identifying and discerning who is who in that. And then we need to start putting some, you know, as much as the government's talking about, the Surgeon General's talking about this as being an issue, what what sort of funding can we get? And can we get the right people in place to know how to use that, that funding to make the system better and make it more equitable? The thing you've heard me talk about, Linda, is the people that are traumatized the most or experience the the highest levels of anxiety and depression often live in underserved communities where they have stressors that are are hard to even fathom unless you've lived in a community like that. And those people have the hardest access points. They have the the hardest time getting help when it comes to their mental health. We have to change that. There's just no way that we can accept that.
0: I think that that's a really main point, which is that a lot of people even just see taking care of your mental health or, you know, getting resources to help you with it as something of privilege. That's something for the privilege. So who really has those resources and how can they become, you know, more widely available?
1: And that's the thing. I wish, wish, Linda, that they existed and we could say, oh, they're right over there and point people to them. I think, um, you know, the, the challenge we have, like you said, you said it well, is that it's typically a privileged experience. And so in a privileged world, oftentimes it's people that have money and wealth who can afford to, to take care of themselves mentally and emotionally. Um, and whether or not we believe that it's a basic human right or not, we've set the system up to be, to, to push that point home to everyone that you have to have enough money in order to really worthy of taking care of yourself mentally and emotionally, which I think you and I would both agree um, is so wrong in so many ways. So I think that the, the issue, again, is that those services don't always exist. I could point to people who are out there listening now to Google sliding scale services, and they would find probably an overworked local clinic that can at least provide them what's called a sliding scale so they would take their income into consideration and then they would ask them to pay something in response to their income um, that would be affordable and maintainable. Um, so that's a good starting point. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about the vision of the future. I think what we need to do is we need to find more ways to go into underserved communities and use this as an opportunity to create jobs and identify the, the people in the community that are the helpers, the people that are the healers and uh, the people that are that, that share the wisdom and find ways to fast track them to get some sort of certification, whether it's life coaching certification or going to get a two-year master's degree and getting licensed so that they can enter the community and serve the community that they're familiar with. Another issue we have not only is access, but we have the issue too of so many people in underserved communities meeting with counselors that don't look like them, have no clue what it's like to walk in their shoes, And that disconnect is so big because you really need to find your person that you feel comfortable with. And you're more likely to do that when you meet someone that you feel like can really understand your experience. And so we do have to do a better job of creating more of those opportunities to train and equip leaders and communities to fill these roles so that a year or two from now, there are more options that we can point people back to. Right now, it's limited.
0: I want to talk a little bit about self-care too and how that's, you know, related to mental health, not conflating it as exactly the same thing, but how good are we at self-care and can you make that link for us?
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that, you know, how good are we at self-care is, again, um, to use your point, which I think is is so well stated about privilege, um, often self-care is a privilege, you know, just to meet the demands of paying rent in a a world of inflation, in a world where there's so many factors stacked against you. If you live in an underserved community, self-care is as much of a privilege as going to talk to someone about your mental and emotional well being. So I think that there are some people that do it really well. And I think that the more money you have, the more privilege you have to afford services like going to the gym or doing yoga, or you know, doing those self care practices. One of the things that's that's been great in terms of evening, evening the playing field has been technology. So now we have access to to apps like Calm, or we have app um, access to YouTube channels where we can do some of those things at home, and it's evening the playing field. So I think that's super encouraging. And I think the link between self care and your mental health is that you know you have to to really evaluate for yourself. What are the things that bring me peace, calm, balance, reflection? You know, the world wants us to go 24-7 nonstop, never stop to have intimate conversations, never stop to reflect. And over time, that corrodes our mental health. And so having built-in daily practices where we are intentional about pausing, reflecting, connecting, those are all things that lead to, over time, better mental health. And we have to bake them into our day and it's self-care. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's it's complicated because, again, um, for so many people, they feel they don't have the time to take care of themselves. And then they also feel guilty, you know, as if it's selfish. And I think that that's something that the more people are introduced to the world that that I live in, which is, you know, that of mental health. Uh, we really do good at empowering people to realize, uh, just as they say on the airplanes, you have to put the oxygen mask first on yourself before you can put it on your children or anyone around you. And that's the importance of self-care.
0: For many of us, accumulated stress can result in cycles of negative thought, making it hard to practice self-care at all.
1: And so I think that uh, what that sounds like often is, is, um, you know, here we go again. Um, I'm, I'm back right where I started. I'll never figure it out. Um, you know, what's the point? Um, You know, am I really worth it? Like, does it even matter? Um, I think that's a lot of an example of that critical voice. And, and interestingly enough, a lot of that voice comes from another voice that was external that we internalized.
0: Time and financial pressure also make it difficult for families to prioritize mental health or self-care. For Kim Syrah growing up, the focus for her family was on survival rather than mental health.
4: Just going off of the Filipino, like, immigrant story that I had, my parents worked to survive. So they worked to put food necessities on the table. So we didn't have, like, I would even go as far as to say we didn't have the luxury or my parents didn't have the luxury. To think about their own feelings and well-being when you're in just, like, a mode of survival, raising a child. And I think that played a huge influence in how I grew up not knowing anything about mental health, but I can remember as a child crying all the time and being so nervous all the time.
0: But these days, she can see her generation's relationship to mental health changing.
4: I'm 24, so I'm like the last year of Gen Z, I think. (laughs) The people who are mostly like my age, I'm not sure how it is for um, like the older generation, but I've noticed that... um, we are more open to talking about mental health because growing up, just noticing how pop culture has dealt with mental health in the past and how the news has dealt with mental health in the past. um, It was extremely stigmatized. And I just remember like even celebrities getting mocked for it. And that was the culture that we were in back then. And now like, I'm seeing a lot more younger people like the newer generation talking about the same topics about mental health. And They're more um, open to conversation or I feel like even now there's more determination to destigmatize mental health and find new ways to like address it, which is something that I've never noticed years ago. And like, I feel like even Britney Spears is a prime example of this and how attention to how she was dealing with her mental health has shifted from like the early 2000s to how younger, like the Gen Z now who maybe are just now hearing about who Britney Spears even is. Um, and how we are addressing her mental health issues.
0: Broadcast media, like social media, was once a breeding ground for unhealthy discussions about celebrities and people's mental health, especially for women. But in recent years, they've both become major platforms for addressing those issues. Naomi Osaka has written an article for Time magazine addressing athletes and mental health. The 23-year-old recently withdrew from the French Open after refusing to take part in mandatory press conferences. Osaka says that she did it, quote, to take care of myself mentally. talking about she is gymnastics has- superstar Simone Biles, who has brought the issue of mental health to the forefront of the games. The four-time Olympic gold medalist sidelined herself. She said to focus on her mental health, adding that competing in an empty stadium with no family was a major factor in her struggles. And the culture shift is extending beyond generational lines. Cyra says she's beginning to see a slow change within Asian communities, a demographic she says has historically felt pressure to hush their own mental health issues in order to fit in and assimilate. So my parents visited
4: and I used to have such difficulty communicating with them because I had so many mental health issues like anxiety was like a huge one and my parents could not understand me they didn't know what it was and it's interesting because they came this weekend and my mom and I were talking and all of a sudden she literally says like a knock which means daughter or you know my child I want to know about I wanna know more about mental health. You know, I wanna know more about anxiety because you keep talking about it. It came out of the blue and the, and like she doesn't even know about my Instagram, which is so interesting, interesting because I don't know where she would have had that perception in her mind because it's a topic we have not seen eye to eye with like for years. So even just to that point, I can say like the culture is definitely shifting. If my mom, who doesn't have any social media, is now asking about what mental health is.
0: And Syra, whose profession now calls for her to constantly be on social media, says it's become more of a safe space for people to express their struggles with mental health. Through social media, content creators like Syrah also have more freedom to explore mental health and self-care without racking up costs.
4: When I had the time in 2020 to just stay at home every single day and like deal with my anxiety face to face, I realized that A, I could not afford therapy um, because I was constantly afraid of losing my job, which I did. And B, um, I didn't know how to talk about my feelings. And I think that just shifted to me now, like, honestly, just being more open and vulnerable and hoping that someone sees me and feels that they feel comfortable to get help on their own. And I think art, even historically, has had a huge impact on cultural shifts and messages being spread. And I think I try to utilize that now. And all of that combined with the power of social media, of course. And I think seeing something so visually appealing, like something so colorful, bright colors, and it says like, oh, like this is how I deal with my anxiety or another infographic I would do. I think like that instantly captures someone's attention.
0: Both Syra and Dr. Mondo stress that as we navigate what can be a stressful holiday season, lingering concerns about the COVID-19 pandemic, and just the everyday challenges of life, it's important to take time for self-care, whether it's taking a quiet moment for yourself or even checking out an Instagram post that makes you smile. But since social media can still be harmful, it's crucial to remember not to spend too much time staring at our screens which can be hard for influencers.
4: Last year and this year I feel like a lot of people of color influencers have just gained so much traction and a following and like I've gained a career out of it. Literally was unemployed and now I'm doing this as my full-time job which is so like uh, very thankful but it's also very new and wild to me and I feel like there is an expectation for me to consistently put out content about what it means to be Asian or like racism or things like that because of fears that people are going to forget us. I I have this fear in the back of my mind at all times. If we as people of color influencers stop putting out content about racism and like why we matter, maybe all of this could be for nothing. Like all of these protests, they could have been for nothing. And I think that in my mind is what makes me put out content all the time and it's come to a point where I preach about self-care but like I haven't even brushed my teeth this morning thinking about my content for tomorrow and it's interesting too because influencers I feel like there's a whole like perception that we're like well off I can barely afford therapy right now there's no company that gives you health care you have to get it yourself um things like that have made me realize it comes down to like systemic racism and capitalism, because I constantly fear of losing my job. And I like constantly fear of losing my income. And in order for me to keep that income, I need to make these infographics that are emotionally hard for me to make. But I do them because I'm scared that non people of color are going to forget who we are. My whole goal is that the infographics, although they're about mental health and they provide information, they're a starting point, not the end point to the learning.
0: What are some things that anyone who's listening today can think about or what are some ways that they can, you know, improve their own self-care and identify their own things that they're dealing with?
1: Man, I think a great thing would be if you could just set a timer for 15 minutes. Um, you'll 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 realize how long that is and, and spend fifteen minutes in a quiet place that you feel comfortable it could be um, a chair it could be a space in your backyard a park
2: thanks to mallory and the entire team at connect the dots and please subscribe to the connect the dots podcast on the odyssey app apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or just about anywhere you listen and connect the dots is on twitter at underscore ctd underscore podcast and if you haven't subscribed to pay current yet join us subscribe on the odyssey app Apple or Google Podcasts. And every episode is on the KCBS Radio YouTube page. There's a link in our show notes. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Matt Pittman. We'll chat with you again tomorrow.